from St. Paul's second epistle to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good morning, y'all. Anybody watch a Penn State game last night? Woo! Was that glorious? That's called a whiteout, by the way. If you didn't see it, everybody, all 110,000 people, students there, which I've done this many times, you wear white from head to toe, and you have a, a towel or a pom-pom, whatever, and you shake it, and it's just a sea of, of people clothed in white praising the Penn, Penn State. But it reminded me, as Father Gritter pointed out this morning, the saints in heaven praising God dressed in white. Amen? It may be a hard stretch, but I'm a Penn State guy. That's what you got today. Anyhow, today is our third week of our sermon series on St. Paul's second epistle to Timothy. And uh, if you've not been here the past two weeks, briefly, Paul, St. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a priest. Timothy is the priest in charge of the church in Ephesus. And Paul is trying to encourage, encourage Timothy and strengthen him and instruct him so that Timothy can be an effective priest of a church, which, of course, as you may know, is not an easy task to do. It's interesting, when you look at the, the problems facing Timothy's congregation, which I'll get to in a moment, we always tend to think of history as repeating itself. People say that history repeats itself. There's a guy named Charles, sorry, Clarence Darrow, who once said that history repeats itself. That's the one thing wrong with history. I don't know about that. I do believe that history repeats itself, not in some sort of a ghost in the machine idea, but I do think that fundamentally human beings are the same now as they ever have been since Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Not a whole lot is different. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm going to give you a quote from somebody who wrote a, an article recently. The children, this is a quote, the children now love luxury. They hate, they have bad manners contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter instead of exercise. Know who said that? Socrates, 400 years before Jesus was born. Every generation, friend, rants about the kids these days, right? Point, the reason is, there's nothing new under the sun, man. Human beings are the same then and now. And the question is, why? And how do you fix it? When Paul talks to Timothy about the problems in his congregation, which is the problem for all of us, frankly, why is that and how does Timothy address the problem? So I want to look at two points today. Uh, I want to look, look at my first point, which is the godlessness of society. And I use that word because Paul does. First point is the godlessness of society. And the second point is the corrective power. Power. I use that word on purpose. Of scripture. The first question point is the godlessness of society then and now and the corrective power of the Bible. You ready? You ready? All right. Um, if you go back and read uh, the beginning of, the les of chapter 3 today, it's left out of the lectionary, so you didn't actually read it, but Paul starts off this chapter in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 with a long laundry list of things that are wrong with the culture. I'll read them to you in part. You ready? It says, Timothy, the last days will come. There will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. 
proud, arrogant, abusive, and disobedient. Now, let me just stop there and say something. We hear, you guys hear that? In the last days, Paul is not talking about the end of the world. Paul is talking about now. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the last days, biblically speaking, the last days are the time between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return in glory. So what Paul is describing in all these words are not some future event, but Paul's present and, in fact, frankly, ours. And the reason is that Paul says this to Timothy and warns him about all these adjectives of people in that culture, friends, is because you and I and Paul's, Timothy's parishioners, we all live in a fallen world, man. The entire scripture says repeatedly over and over again that you and I inhabit a world since Genesis chapter 3, which is broken. I mean, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Look at the world around you. Turn the news on, man. You read about Turkey invading Syria, right? Killing these Kurds. These Kurds are not, they're Christians, by the way, for the most part, many of them. I mean, look at, the, look, at the, look, at the, look at the people that Paul describes. There's more, more narrative here. Paul, Paul picks up and says, this long list of people, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Look, look friends, these folks live in Vero Beach. Most of them live in New Jersey. But a, few live, <laughs> but a few live here, and in fact, quite frankly, they actually live in your seat right now. That's the Paul's point, you see. He's not talking about other people. That's what we want to hear, right? That's what I want to hear. But Paul's saying is, now hang on, hang on, hang on. This is kind of the condition of the human heart. All of us fall into these, these, uh, this, this criticism, if you will, this descriptor really is a better word, of Paul describing the human condition. And he, and he ends off with this verse in verse 5, which I want to dial on for a second. Paul says, he lays out all these adjectives and he says this, that all of us have the appearance of godliness. godlessness. Sorry, let me rephrase that. We have the appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. I'm going to read that again. They have the appearance of godliness. We have the appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. In other words, they and we know how we should live, but we don't actually do it. We have the form of religion, but we deny its power. That word is huge. The word dynamis in Greek, it means to, to change, radically change. In other words, those people that Paul describes, and you and me, God knows, we live lives that we know better and we do it anyway. Let me ask you a question. You ever been to a church where the pastor preached a sermon that had nothing to do with the Bible? Anybody? Was it political? Probably. I remember a, uh, remember a uh, in fact, I'll give you an example that I remember, and there's lots. Uh, the former bishop of Pennsylvania, who will go unnamed, he went to great lengths once to describe in detail and read into a text, I can't remember what it was, but he went to ridiculous, ridiculous lengths to read into the text something which wasn't there. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because he was trying to take a jab at the person who was my then rector, who was a conservative. And maybe it is just me, I'm willing to admit, maybe it's just me, but 
I've been to lots of churches where the preaching was, let's just say, vapid, uninspiring, told people what they wanted to hear, frankly, just plain wrong. In other words, and it's common, and God help me if it happens to me, having the form of religion, saying all the stuff, but not actually believing it can change you, denying its power. You all may know, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I don't do politics from the pulpit. I don't do it. I think it's smarmy. I do have political opinions, some of them strongly held, some of them not so much. But, there, but you can't put Christianity in a political box, which is why I don't do it. For example, the Bible has a lot to say about the nature of marriage or the sanctity of human life from conception to natural death. The Bible talks about that. You might say a conservative opinion, but the Bible also warns about the dangers of money, right? And our responsibility as Christians to be, to be in tuned of and caring for the least, the lost, and the last. You might say a more liberal position. My point being, the danger for clergy, the danger for you and I, for anybody, is to listen to who we agree with rather than letting the Bible tell us what we should be believing. That we, that we look at the world and the culture in which we live, the people that we hang out with and go to dinner with, the people with whose, whose politics we agree, and we, don't, we aren't checked by what the truth of Scripture is. Booker T. Washington once wrote, A lie does not become truth, wrong does not become right, and evil does not become good just because it is accepted by the majority. Just because our culture wants us to redefine gender as a social construct, for example, doesn't mean it's right. Just because our, our culture wants to provide abortion on demand, even ex utero, doesn't make it right. And the reason is, friends, society left on its own without God becomes godless. Listen to what I said. Society left on its own without God becomes godless. It cannot not be godless if it rejects the very God that orders the universe. And even closer to home, this may sting, buckle in, stings for me. We, I, become godless without God at my center. I, you, we, become godless without a trust and belief in what he tells us. So what Paul's saying to Timothy is, Tim, dude, buckle in, baby, because you got a mess there, but it's just people. The world is a mess. The world is broken. So here's the second point then. What's the fix, Rodriguez? And that's my second point, the corrective, the corrective power of Scripture. Here's the thing. Here, society, friends, needs a corrective. You need a corrective. God knows I need a corrective. I need a gut check. I need someone to show me. I need someone or something to show me how to make decisions, what's right and wrong. You ever meet a kid or a grown-up, a, a kid that grew up, who no one ever said no to? Whew, buckle in, man. We, this, our culture, our heart, my heart, we need a corrective. And Paul, Paul lays out what that corrective is. He says, Timothy, there's the problem. Here's your solution. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, let me explain that for a second. That's a very, very profound thing for Paul to say. Here's why. When, when, Timothy says, when Paul says, Timothy, here's your tool for fixing the problem because all Scripture is God-breathed. That's not just 
hallmarky language. These are Jewish men, right? They know their Old Testament. And breath, wind, in the Bible is a creative force. For Floridians, wind is a destructive force, right? We get hurricanes. But biblically, wind is a destructive and then recreative force. I'll give you an example. I'll give you three quickly. In Genesis chapter 1, the first paragraph of the Bible, if the Bible had paragraphs, which it does not, the first opening sentence of the, of the Bible says that the earth was formless and void, and the breath of God, the wind of God, the breath of God hovered over the waters and made it form. Genesis chapter 3, God reaches down, takes a lump of red dirt, which is what the name Adam means, red clay, and he, what does he do? breathes in it, and he creates mankind. John's gospel, Jesus is in the upper room with the apostles. He takes them, he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he creates the church. The point I'm trying to say here, friends, and this is wickedly profound, that God's breath is a creative and transformative force. It has power, dunamis, the Greek word. It destroys the old, and it builds up the new. And Paul says, fascinatingly, this creative power of God, God's breath, the ability to transform the human heart is actually found in the words of Scripture. I'm going to prove it to you. You ready? You think, ah, oh, come on, Rodriguez, this sounds like fairy tale. Bring it. I'm going to bring it. You ever heard a sermon and you thought to yourself, Man, that guy really spoke to me. Anybody? You ever heard somebody preach the word of God and it just went, it, it was just right through the cloud, right where you, right where you needed to hear that, at that exact time. And you think to yourself, how did he know that about me? I got news for you. I didn't. Between me and you is the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God transmuted by the Holy Spirit to you. Why? Because the Bible, friends, is God-breathed and it has power. That is God's transformative power, his creative power, working in your heart. Holy Scripture is not just a book. Holy Scripture has the ability to literally change your life. And Paul tells us how in four ways. You with me so far? Four ways, briefly, Paul says. He says, Holy Scripture is uh, all God-breathed. It is useful. And he says it is useful for four things, teaching, reproof, Correction and training. I read it again. It's right there if you want to look at it. He is, it's a, it is useful for, scripture is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. First thing is teaching. How does the Bible teach us? Well, scripture is fundamentally the way that you learn about God. Now, it's not the only way. It's not the only way. You can walk out. You can be a complete atheist, never looked at the Bible, know nothing about Christianity. You will still believe in a God. Guarantee it. Every human culture that has ever existed believes in a God of some variety. Why? Because you look outside, man, and you look at the stars, or you look at the sand on the seashore, or you look at your kid's hand when they're born and they're sitting in your lap, and you think, my God, there's something bigger than me. Any person who claims to be an atheist is self-deceived. It is, it is a... The natural order, the natural universe, the science proves there must be something bigger than ourselves. Proves it. So you can look around the world around you and you can say, you know, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more. But Scripture actually tells you 
who he is. See, God has to reveal himself to you. You can see his handiwork in the stars and the skies and tadpoles and quarks, things like that. But for you to know about him, he's got to tell you about himself. You meet somebody at a party, you see somebody who might look interesting to you. When I met my wife Kathy at a party at Penn State in my own apartment, frankly, I saw her and thought, I want to meet that girl. So I had to go and talk to her. She revealed who she was to me. Point is, Scripture is God revealing who he is to you, who he is, who you are. If you want to know about God, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to be instructed in it. You've got to learn from it. It is a prophet that is useful. It is useful for teaching. And by the way, you ever hear somebody say to you that God works in mysterious ways? That is not true. <laughs> not even a little. The dude, God, is crystal clear, crystal clear about who he is, who you are, and what he expects from you. And how to do it. God is, not, God is mysterious in his nature, granted. But he is not mysterious in how he deals with people. God is a God of clarity. But you've got to read it. Scripture is useful for teaching, point one. Second thing is, Paul says, Scripture is useful for reproof and correction. This is where it gets a little dicier. Paul says Scripture is useful for reproof. That Greek word there for reproof is the word algamon. And reproof means to convict someone, to cut to the quick, to maybe make you sting a little. You ever hear, again, back to hear a, a sermon being preached or somebody reads something in Scripture and it just makes you squirm a little bit? You ever had that happen to you? Happens to me all the time. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Scripture is good for reproof, to make us squirm, to make us be challenged, because you and I, friends, are awfully good, awfully good, I know I am, at convincing myself that what I do is okay and everything I do is right. <laughs> I'm good at that, I'll admit. But God's word, man, it stings sometimes. God challenges me and he challenges you to get up and get going. I mean, for God's sake, think about it like this, right? Think about it, think of the alternative. Say... Have you ever met somebody whose human spirit was never challenged to grow? Could you imagine? Could you imagine if God did not reprove you on occasion? He'd be like that proverbial 28-year-old kid living in his parents' basement playing Xbox and drinking Red Bull all day long. God teaches us, right? He instructs us. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I'm asking you to do. But he also reproves us, thanks be to God. But then he also, third point, he corrects us. Let me give you an example. You ever known somebody who was just always critical of you, right? Reproves, reprove, reprove, reprove. Always reproving you, but never showing you how to make it better. If you don't know anybody like that, ask Father Josh. He'll tell you, because that's the way I am with him. I'm just kidding. God's word, is not, God's word does not only reprove us, it actually corrects us. God teaches us who he is. He reproves us, but he also shows us what to do. He tells us what to do to make it better. He gives us the solution. And then fourthly, God's word, and this is the most important, this is the most important. God's word has power because it trains us in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, friends, um, Francis Chan. Anybody know, who, anybody know who Francis Chan is? He's a preacher. He's a good one. I like him. He's a totally different from me, but he's a, he's a good preacher, I think. Um, 
He says, you know, let me give you an example. He says, what if I tell my daughter, honey, time for you to clean your room. Sweetheart, go upstairs and clean your room. She's not going to come back to me later and say, well, you know, Dad, I memorized what you said. No, 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 no. Okay, that's great, honey. That's not what I wanted. So, honey, what I asked you to do is go and, go and clean your room. She's not going to go back to you later and say, hey, Dad, guess what I did? What? I learned how to say clean your room in Greek. No, no, no. It's not what I said, honey. Okay, clean your room. Okay, she comes, goes away. She comes back. She says, Dad, I got it. I got it. Dad, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a group of my friends together, and we're going to study what it would be like if we cleaned our room. <laughs> friends, here's the thing, right? Studying Scripture for studying Scripture's sake is useless. And not only is it useless, it's dangerous. It makes us proud and arrogant. You know somebody who could quote Scripture at you like this? Bing, bing, bing! And it makes you feel inferior, and they're actually a little bit judgmental of you. I've met lots of people like that. Not, not all, but some. Let me tell you something. Scripture, studying Scripture and translating Scripture and doing Bible studies in groups and all that stuff is really of no use for you, for you unless it trains you in righteousness. Clean your room, honey. That means clean your room, honey. <laughs> Wouldn't fly with our parents. Why would we say it would fly with Jesus? Here's my thing. We should study Scripture to know God. To know who he is, who we are, and what our culture, and how he operates against the culture. We should study scripture to be reproved by it and to be corrected by it. But at the end of the day, friends, at the end of the day, you've got to be trained in righteousness. You've got to do something about it. Friends, as Christians, we are called to take out the trash, our own trash, and the trash of our culture by being salt and light. Jesus' words. Salt and light in a godless hostile, increasingly perverse, and sometimes just plain old evil culture. But the solution is easy and clear. God's word is true. It has power to transform but the, the human heart, to transform society, and to transform the human heart one at a time, one at a time, beginning with yours. Shall we pray, Lord, we live in a broken and fallen world in many ways, increasingly a godless world. Lord, help us to remember that it is your word which gives us clarity and remind us to do what it says because it has the power to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.